Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. If you happen to receive a phone call or if you get a, a letter in the mail that says urgent, it says urgent, what, what does that mean? I, it, I think for most of us it means it's requiring immediate action or attention. It's the earnest and persistent response to a pressing situation. In other words, this needs to be taken care of now or you're gonna miss the opportunity, it's gonna get worse. When we hear the word urgent, it brings up these thoughts. I need to pay attention, time is limited, and I need to take action. I need to pay attention, time is limited, and I need to take action. Now, however, the human tendency is to wait is to put things off until they become urgent. We do that way sometimes in prayer, don't we? We just kind of rock along and yes, we pray. Prayer's a part of our life. But then we get hit with something really big. Then the needs become urgent. And so that's when we cry out to the Lord, Lord, please hear my prayer. We're in desperation. I gotta have help now. Well, thank God, he's merciful. And he responds to us when we call out to him that way. But, uh, you know, we're that way sometimes in our faith walk, aren't we? We're just kind of coasting along. We read the words some. We, you know, we're living out the Christian life. We're doing what we believe we're supposed to do. But then we encounter something that, some obstacle. We get some bad report. Something happens and we've been coasting along and now we come to a point where, man, I need faith. I need faith that gets results. I need to be in a place where I can call on God and know that he will hear me and answer me. I need help. You see, God designed us in such a way when it comes to praying or to our life of faith is he wants us to stay prepared. He wants us to develop a regular diet of the word and prayer in our lives so that we're not caught off guard so often and so that when we come to some pressing need or emergency, it doesn't knock us down. How many of you can remember times where yes, you were Christian, Jesus Christ was your savior, but you came up to a point and something big took place and you needed help and what, did you normally, what do you normally feel? You, you feel that, I, I just, man, I, I wish I had more faith. I, I wish my prayer life was stronger. You, you, you're in a place of regret. Now you can't go back and do anything about that. We can't, can we? But you know what we can do? We can start preparing now and living a life of constant prayer and faith in a way so that we're not bombarded with things that overwhelm us. That's the way God wants us to live. Now, in James chapter 5, verse 16, our theme verse for this entire series, it says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails or accomplishes much. New Living Translation says, the earnest prayer, we could say urgent. The earnest prayer, urgent prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful 
results. I have three things I want to point out this morning as we talk about urgent or urgency. First of all, I think we could all agree that we live in urgent times. These are urgent days. I mean, look around you. Enemies around the world, nations leaders and nations themselves calling for death to America. Countries that are arming themselves with weapons that essentially would bring about the destruction of the world as we know it today, killing millions of people. The threats of, uh, of terrorism, the daily reports that we get of people being killed, slaughtered, the brokenness and division in our own country of strife and hatred, political correctness that's gone absolutely mad. If you differ from me, then you don't have a voice and I'm going to attack you and you don't belong. That is political correctness. It's been kind of seeping in now for several years. So finally, we have a group of people that says, you can only have free speech as long as you agree with what we believe. You can only do something if we go along with it. And if people begin to attack a particular sect or part of society and deny them that freedom, then I'm telling you, the next ones on the list are Christians. And so we living in days of urgency. We need help. We need unity. We need mercy. We need grace. We need an awakening in America. These are serious times. Well, Paul warned Timothy of this in his second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And he's telling Timothy something about the last days. Now, I want you to know that if he's telling Timothy 2,000 years ago, here's what the last days is going to look like. This is, this, is, this is what you're going to see. Then I'm sure there was application to that time for Timothy and, and some of the things that were happening there in those days. But if there have been generations before us that believed they were living in the last days, I got news for you this morning. We are really living in the last days. The last days when the earth will continue no more as it is today. The last days when Jesus will return. Now, we don't set dates. We don't know. It may be very, very soon. It may be a little while. I don't know. But we're living in the last days. And Paul writes, he says, here's what will happen in the last days. And you may want to read along with me in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. These are urgent times. He says, but understand this, that in the last days, dangerous or perilous times, times of great stress and trouble will come, difficult days that will be hard for you to bear. For people will be lovers of self, they'll be narcissistic, self-focused, lovers of money, impelled by greed, boastful, arrogant, puffed up with pride, Revilers, in other words, contemptuous speech and attacking people with words, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, profane, 
and they will be unloving, devoid of natural human affection, calloused and inhumane, irreconcilable, malicious, gossips, devoid of self-control, intemperate, immortal, immoral, brutal, haters of good, traitors, they'll betray their enemies, reckless, conceited, lovers of sensual pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of outward goodness or religion, godliness, but denying the power, the power, the true power that you find in a true relationship with God, denying the power for their conduct nullifies their claim of faith. And then Paul goes on, he says, he said, you need to avoid such people and keep far away from them. Now, you could take the, uh, you could look on your uh, computer or in the newspaper or listen on television and hear the news on any given day. I'm telling you, any given day. And you can go down the list of like the top 20 stories, 20 accounts, things that have happened that day or the day before, and you will find evidence of, if not everyone, almost ev every. Listen here, if not everything, almost everything listed in these verses in 1 Timothy is a description of life today. Now we say, well, some of these things have always taken place for you. These have always been here. Yes, but not with the regularity and intensity that they are today. And you see, when you talk about the coming or the return of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord, we can say, well, there'll be earthquakes in diverse places. There'll be hunger, famine. There'll be other signs that take place. There'll be war, nations against nation, people group against people group. And, and, and when you look at that, you say, well, no, look, we've always had that. Here's what you see unfolding in our day. This is where we've already, always had some of those things happen. What you're seeing unfolding in the last probably 10, 20 years and right as we're living today is you're seeing these things happen with more uh, regularity. They're happening, with, they're happening with greater intensity and, and power. Things are happening that draw us to the conclusion that we live in urgent times. Things are about to change. Things are about to change. Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, if you look there with me, Luke chapter 17, verse 26 and 27, he gives us some information about these last days. He says, and as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. The 11 translation says that when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. Well, how was that? There's a lot we could say here, but let's just go basically what's mentioned in the scripture. Verse 17, during those days the people ate they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, what's, is there anything unusual about eating? Is there anything unusual about drinking? Is there anything unusual about marrying or being given in marriage? No, it's just a part of life. And so what the scripture is saying to us is look, in the last days, you will see that life is just going on as usual. Life will be just ordinary.
people will go on with their lives. No matter what's happening around them, they're just going to go on with their lives. They'll go on with their regular routine, their regular acti activities, their eating and drinking, getting together, doing things, marriage, family, all of these things. And it says they did all these things. They just lived doing what people do right up to the time that the doors were closed to the ark and the flood came. So what this is really, what Jesus is trying to say is they just went on with their life and they ignored the warnings that were given to them over and over and over again. For some 100 years or more, that's a long, that's a, that's a lot of preaching. For some 100 years or more, Noah had proclaimed what God had spoken to him and given warning to the people. And yet, over and over again, they rejected, they scoffed at, they laughed, and they just went on with life as usual because they said, oh, he's been saying this for years. And then finally, the last warning was given. The time of urgency became a time of emergency and then, unfortunately, a time of being too late. That can still happen today. God wants us to live lives that are prepared and ready. But you see, that's the very nature of God, isn't it? God doesn't want to hide himself. He reveals himself. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know his truth. That's, that's who God is. Because the better we know him and the more we know about him, the more blessed we are. The better life is. So God desires to reveal himself. And so the Bible, when properly uh, understood, then uh, it is perfect. It is without error. And God has given it to us. He has superintended it and given it to us as a reliable word for us to follow. It is the truth and it is a living word. Thank God for his word today. There is no more important way that God speaks to us than his word because it is constant, it is there, it is, it is something that is not so subjective as some of the other ways that the Lord speaks to us. He speaks to us. Measure every other way that God speaks to you, measure it with the word. If it contradicts the word, then go with the word, the Bible. God speaks to us through his word. God speaks to us how else? He speaks to us by his Holy Spirit. He speaks to us inwardly. He speaks to us, for some people have heard audible voices. I've never, I've heard the voice of the Lord so clearly at times within that it seemed as if it was audible. But you just knew that was God. The Lord will speak to you in times of prayer, inwardly. The Lord will speak to you during times of worship, inwardly. The Lord speaks to us today through uh, visions and dreams. Again, these can be very subjective and they are to be weighed, they are to be tried, and they are to be tested according to the Word of God. But God really speaks today through visions and dreams. It's prophesied that he'll do that in the last day, certainly. God speaks to us in so many different ways. God speaks to us through the counsel of others. We, we listen to the words of others, godly counsel, and God will use people to speak into our lives. It, it's important. God also speaks to us through nature, through his creation. And take just a look, take, take a look at this with me just a moment this morning. God speaks through his creation, through nature. Psalm 19, verse 1 and 2. The heavens, God's creation, the heavens declare the glory of God. Declare, that's speaking, isn't it? 
The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech and night after night, they display knowledge. And that knowledge goes throughout the earth. So God has revealed himself through nature. Every man is accountable to that much of revelation that if you open your eyes and look around you, there is a God. <laughs> we had the opportunity and privilege the, just a few days ago to go down to the beach for, for a little while and that was a blessing. But anytime I, I would go there, there's, there's, I mean, something about looking over the beautiful mountains, the expanse of, of great rolling mountains and uh, the beauty of, that's all around you. But there's something about standing on the, on the beach, on the sand and looking out across the ocean that there's something that speaks so clearly as to the awesomeness of God. Now, I know there are so-called scientists and other people that explain this away and it was all accident and there's no creator, but that's absolutely ridiculous because it's the fool that says in his heart that there is no God. So creation says something to us. If you open your eyes and your heart, God speaks to us through his creation. Now, God is not creation. He's the creator. He's not a part of nature. It's not about nature worship. He is the designer, the creator of worship. Of, of nature. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, Genesis 1, 14, the Bible says, then God said, let there be light bearers, the sun, the moon, the stars, in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be useful, let them be signs or tokens of God's provident care and for marking seasons, days, and years. He says, I've created things in such a way. And he said, particularly the sun and the moon and the stars in the heavens, they are created in such a way that it provides signs of God's work, signs of what God is saying. In other, word, other words, we could say that they are God's signal to us. Now, be careful, don't take this too far. This is, this, is not about, this is not about astrology. This is not about getting uh, into this, over in this weird idea of, 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 of following uh, any type of horoscopes or anything. This, this is about understanding that God has created the heavens in them and he's created them in such a way that they can speak to us. In fact, sometimes they are signs that God gives to us, urgent signs. Find throughout the Bible, God uses examples of the sun and the moon and the stars and the rainbow. He uses nature to declare things about himself and about events that are taking place. It's just true. Well, then also we find these interesting, this is in several places in the Bible. Let me pick out a few. Joel chapter 2 verse 31 says, the sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and terrible, the awesome, one, one translation says, before the awesome day of the Lord arrives. Amos chapter eight, verse nine, the Bible says, and it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. Acts chapter two twenty, the scripture says, the sun will become dark and the moon will turn red before that great 
and glorious day the Lord arrives. Now I know in, in recent months we had the accounts and teachings about the blood moons, and I think there's significance there. Um, and then, of course, we have what's coming up tomorrow. Jesus said in Matthew 24, he said, immediately after the anguish of those days, talking about the great tribulation, which is still to come, the sun will be darkened and the moon will give no light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers in the heaven and the powers in the heaven will be shaken. Uh, that's still to take place in the future. But there's no doubt that some of these scriptures that we've read, that we just read, are dealing with what we would call an eclipse. And I believe that there are times that God has spoken or signaled certain things through signs like these. Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars. Well, tomorrow is the great American eclipse. Anybody heard about that? Anybody got your glasses? Somebody got your glasses, good. If you got an extra pair. Um, but uh, be careful. Don't, don't stare at it if you don't have those protective lenses. Don't do that. You know, we were told that as kids when it happened. Don't stare at it. And that was really hard to do. It's, it's like when someone tells you not to do something, you know how hard it is? I mean, you know, it would been better just for not saying anything. But when they say don't do it, then you're trying to, you know, get a glimpse or anything. But it can be very dangerous. It can be very harmful during that time. But it's going to take place tomorrow. It's, it's called the Great American Eclipse because it goes from coast to coast across the entire United States. Amazing. It hasn't happened like this in 100 years. Now we know that a solar eclipse is different from a lunar eclipse. A solar eclipse is, is caused by the moon passing between us on earth and the sun uh, interrupting the light that comes from the sun. Now, the amount of the eclipse, the percentage uh, of the eclipse is measured differently according to where you are in the United States. If you come across a particular, uh, uh, you see graphic designs that mark the place where you are in the center where essentially it'll be 100% eclipse. One of those places I, I heard from uh, this past week was I heard from a gentleman from Hopkinsville, Kentucky. And I lived in Kentucky for several years. And so I know where Hopkinsville is. And they have a little small town, about 25, 30,000 people at the most. And he said they are anticipating over 100,000 people to travel there for probably today and tomorrow. They're all coming to this place to watch the eclipse. And we were driving back home the other day and I was coming down the interstate and I looked up at, at, a, at a billboard there and it had this, this portrayal of the eclipse of the sun with this great warning about the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, you know, that tomorrow might be the end of it all. Um, I don't think it will be. Stay prepared for a situation, but don't go get your white robe and climb the mountain today necessarily <laughs> and wait. We don't know when, when he's coming, but there are some signs that he's given us and we are getting closer and closer to that day. And one of the signs I think that's been given over the centuries has been actually the sign of the blocking of the sun's light, or we call the, the solar eclipse. I went on the website this past week, and it is flooded with sites 
dealing with the solar eclipse. And one of them was kind of interesting. It came up and it just had a statement made on it. And it said, website closed. We're out of the office right now, waiting for the eclipse. We'll be back on August the 22nd. So, I mean, you know, this, this is the day. It's the day for them. Now, eclipses have, they have been observed from antiquity. History records these accounts over and over again. And many times, now get this, many times they mark a dramatic event or shift in history, in actions, in political uh, changes, dramatic changes happening in the earth. So this has happened before. People say, well, it's just coincidental, but it's happened with some regularity. Is this eclipse tomorrow? Is it some type of warning of a coming calamity? Is it a message of urgency? Now, as Gentiles, we're, non, we're not, in the truest sense, we are not a native <laughs> Jewish uh, people. We are, we are grafted into the family. We're made Jews in the sense of our new birth in Christ, grafted into to that. But we, as Gentiles, uh, we, use the, uh, we use the solar calendar. Our calendar is, is governed by the sun. The, whereas the Jewish calendar, termed the biblical calendar, uses the sun, the lunar approach to marking their calendar. Jewish rabbis have historically seen a solar eclipse as warnings to Gentiles. When there was a solar eclipse, it was warning Gentile nations. But if there was a lunar eclipse, it was a warning given they considered it God's warning of judgment or some uh, dramatic change to take place in their country. Now, August, and particularly we, uh, August the 21st is part of the sixth month, the sixth Jewish month, which is called Elul. And this month, the sixth month, Elul, is the month in the Jewish calendar that is marked for a call to repentance. It actually means, uh, it actually is seen as, a, as days for repentance, days to repent. It's a time of asking for, crying out for, praying for mercy and forgiveness. This is their focus. It takes place, uh, it precedes the Jewish holy days of Rosh, uh, Rosh Hashanah uh, which is the Jewish New Year, and Yom Kippur, which is the, the Day of Atonement. Uh, and this month, Elul, is very interesting when you look at history. When you go back to historical accounts published in Usher's uh, Historical Annals of the World, there were two remarkable eclipses of the sun which happened at solemn, at solemn festivals, Jewish festivals. They happened in the month of Elul. One of them happened when Moses went up into the mountain. And this time when he went up in the mountain, he was interceding for the nation of Israel, for the people of Israel, because they had worshiped idols. They had built or made, formed a golden calf. They had given themselves to idolatry. And Moses went back up to the mountain to plead for them and to repent and cry out to God for them. And this took place during the month of Elul and there was a solar eclipse that month. The other 
historical account we have took place during the days of Jonah. Jonah left for 40 days and his call, his responsibility was to do what? It was to go to the place, to the country called Nineveh and there he was to preach to them and tell them to repent because destruction was coming. Now there's something interesting about that because during these 40 days, prior to, prior to Jonah's arrival there, because you know there was a little delay, Jonah had a little difficulty in getting there of his own making. But prior to that time, something had happened in Nineveh. And this is so very interesting when you go back and look at the historical uh, accounts. That prior to, this hap- to his arrival there, Nineveh had gone through a terrible plague And then after that plague, they had suffered uh, and experienced an awful civil war. And then when they were through, the civil war had come to an end, another terrible plague came upon the country. And then there was a solar eclipse and there was darkness. Now put yourself in their place. They have been hammered with disease and the country has been hit over and over again. They've been divided and people have been killed in times of war and battle. About the time that's over, hammered again with a physical attack with a plague. And then an eclipse, something happens miraculously in the skies and the the sun goes dark. And then Jonah shows up and says, repent. I think they were ripe and ready to hear that message. Amazing how God used even these terrible things to work in people's hearts and drive them to a point to where when they heard Jonah, you know, if everything had been going just perfectly well and they were comfortable, I'm not sure they would have been open to his message, his warning at all. Because most of the time when everything is going well and there's no problems, life is good, then we're not very sensitive to the urgent things that may be around us. This particular, uh, when we look at this, uh, uh, this particular eclipse that took place during the days of Jonah uh, is is well known historically and scientifically. It's called the Bersagil eclipse. And it took place over the nation, over the country of Nineveh. Destruction was coming to them. It was a warning. But remember, because they listened to the word of God and because they obeyed him and repented and turned their hearts to him, the Bible says God changed his mind. Remember? And that again, that Jonah, that the people responded and they, they, uh, they fasted, they prayed, they wept before God and God, God spared them from destruction. Now, it's also interesting that historically we find that World War I started in August 1914 and there was a total solar eclipse that went over Eastern Europe and the old Ottoman Empire. And it included the area of Nineveh. And the Ottoman Empire was destroyed. You know the date of that eclipse that took place back in 1914? August the 21st. It's amazing. 
We live in urgent times. There are some signs of urgency that are all around us. And they don't have to be eclipses. Don't read too much in to some of these things, but be sensitive that God can speak through them. The final thing I want us to look at is one. The third thing is that urgent days call for urgent action. Urgent days call for urgent action. It's important for you and I to discern or to understand the days in which we're living. You know how some people live with their heads in the sand? I mean, <laughs> they don't really know very much that's going on around them. They don't really care that much. It's all about their little routine, their schedule, their, their little group. And they just, life is, they're just like they're in a bubble and totally unaware of what's going on in the world. People that stick their heads in the sand and don't want to see what's going on around them because it's very disturbing. Then there are alarmists that they're always looking at things and getting caught up in fear and worry and wringing their hands and what are we going to do in these terrible times of urgency? But when we do live in urgent times like this, it behooves us as believers to be aware of it and be sensitive to what God may be saying to us during these days. Amen? It's important. That's why I'm talking about this point. It's important to understand and discern the times in which we're living. We've mentioned this before, but let me mention it again that uh, Issachar was one of the sons of, uh, of Jacob or Israel, one of the 12 sons. And of course, his family became a very large family, one of the tribes of Israel. And something is said about his sons or about his descendants in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. It says, from the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. Now get this. All these men understood the signs of the times and they knew the best course for Israel to take. They understood what was going on. They understood the events that were happening and what it was saying. We know from study that these sons of Issachar studied them. Interesting, they studied the movements of stars and planets. They understood the chronological seasons in their relationship to the Jewish feast. They understood spiritual and political times. They had an insight to what was going on politically and in the spiritual life of people. They knew who to follow and they knew when to follow him or her. You know, that's a good thing, isn't it? Think about it. It's a good thing to know who to follow and when to follow. And they were full of wisdom of God's law, or we could say they were full of wisdom of God's word. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you and I could have inside knowledge and understanding about some of the things that are going on in the world today? We can. We can. I don't know that we necessarily call it an anointing of Issachar, I guess if you could use that terminology, but I think that when we seek the Lord and you know, if we ask for wisdom, he'll give it to us. And if we're sensitive to his word, he will give us insight to what's going on in the world, how that affects us, how that affects life around us. 
He'll give you insight as to what's happening uh, as a believer, as to what's happening even in the political shifts. He'll give you insight into what's happening in our nation, the world. He'll give you insight because we don't need to just respond emotionally as believers. We need to respond as believers that believe that our call, our cry is to be, God, your kingdom come on earth as is in heaven. We're to be out there enforcing his kingdom. We're to be out there in the midst of darkness being light. We're to be out there when people are caught up in fear to have confidence and peace. We're to be out there as believers being a light in the midst of darkness. We're to be out there as God's children declaring that yes, things are happening all around us and there are even bigger things to come. But don't be concerned or worried about it. Lift up your head, your eyes. Look, your Redeemer is coming. He's very near. Live life to its fullest. God has plans for you now. It's time for you to take hold of it and do something about it because time is short. Life is short. And days are getting more and more urgent. So there is, it's so important that we allow the Holy Spirit to teach us about life and about things that are going on around us. He'll give you insight concerning things that are happening in your marriage, in your family. He'll give you insight as to relationships with your employer, employee. He'll give you ideas concerning decisions you should make, discerning your career. He'll give you insight as to important choices that you are making right now. It is extremely important for us to say, Lord, you have given signs, you've given us a signal. These are urgent days. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us. God wants us to walk in wisdom as believers in these last days. It's so very important. Now look, it's important that we live with a sense of urgency. Now, it's important for us to live with a sense of urgency, but not panic. For some people, it's kind of the connotation there between them is urgency and panic or fear. And that's not true. Do you know it seems as if when you look at the life ministry of Jesus that he never really got in a hurry? Sometimes people accused him of being late. But he was always on time. You see, when you walk according to God's clock, and when you walk in obedience to him, and you learn to be led by the Holy Spirit every day, even though there might be some times that you've got to step it up just a little bit, you don't live that life of being under pressure all the time. God does not want his kids, his children, to live with a sense of being under pressure all the time and every day. Now, a certain amount of pressure and responsibility is good, but I said under pressure. We're not to be driven by that. We're to be led by the Spirit. And when we are, I think we'll be more relaxed. I think that we'll be more accurate in showing up the right place at the right time. I think that we'll just be, I think we'll just be better all the way around for people to be with. <laughs> when you don't live with it since this. Uh, you know people that just, you, you know anyone that just, it seems like they're just in a hurry and a rush all the time? It, you know, you stop and talk to them, but they don't hear anything you're saying because they're already way past you. They've already moved on. 
And it's just go, 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 and do, do. And it's important for us to be active because we said take action in urgent days. It's important for us to, to be, to be uh, in a sense, to not waste our steps, but don't run ahead under pressure. It's urgent that we pray effective, fervent prayers. It's urgent that we return to our first love, rededicate our hearts to the Lord. It's urgent that the church really become the church and live with a kingdom consciousness, aware that God wants us to walk in victory. It's urgent that you and I reach out to the lost, members of our families, people that we know, we work with, people that God brings us in contact with. It's urgent that they come to Christ while there's still time. It's urgent that you and I get our house in order, our family, our priorities, our finances. It's urgent. And the question is, since we can have from God's word and since we can see all around us signs that he has given us, we ask ourselves the question, are we prepared? Are we ready? Are we living with a sense, a consciousness of his presence? It's time for you and I to focus our attention and our energies on the things that are really important. I'll say that one more time. It's time for you and me, it's time for us to put our attention, our energies into things that are really important. Recapture our passion for the Lord and his purpose for you and his purpose for us. You feel that like God's called you at some point in your life. You feel that the Lord has spoke something into your life. He wants, he wants you to do some role. He wants you to play in his church. Don't let that pass by you. Recapture that passion for him and let him show you clearly what he wants you to do. When I look out across this, this crowd today, and I see so many of you recognizing just how much God has loved each one of us, how much God loves you, and that God has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of you as his followers. You are important. You're important. You have a role to play. It may be primarily in ministering in your family, in your home right now, but not limited to just that. But whatever it is, don't waste any more time. Allow God to begin to show you his gifts, his callings. Look around you. It's right there in front of you. Something you can do that will honor him and bless others. Rethink your priority. Renew your vision. God is not finished with you yet. He who began a good work in you, the scripture says, is faithful to complete it, to bring it to pass. Reclaim what the enemy has stolen you or what he, you allowed him to steal from you and claim the promises and the blessings of God in your life. Here's what I want to do before we go. So often, even when we see it in the significance of the Jewish month, Elul, that there was, a, and by the way, uh, it was during the month of Elul when Jesus was taken in the wilderness to pray and fast for 40 days. Now there was, there was, there was, there was an eclipse at his death, but that was not a natural, that was not a natural eclipse. That was a supernatural eclipse. 
The moon was not in the right location for there to be an eclipse and the sun was darkened for three hours while he was on the cross. That was a supernatural eclipse. That was a divine, a divine act of God. But he spent 40 days. Jonah, 40 days. Moses, 40 days. 40 days. Tomorrow is August 21st. From August 21st to September the 29th, 40 days. I want to ask you to join with me. Join with me. Put it on your calendar. Set a date. We'll remind you every Sunday between now and then that let these next 40 days, and we, uh, we don't have anything to put in your hand this morning. We've got some real great tools that if we have them here by next Sunday, we put in your hands to help walk you through 40 days. But I want to challenge you, husbands, wives, each one of you, I want us to get together, come together as a church and say, Lord, these are urgent times. Things are happening now in the world in this nation and it's time for the people of God to rise up, to speak up and to pray, to take a stand and to get serious about calling out to God for an awakening in this country. If it doesn't happen, the country will not make it. We must have that spiritual awakening in this country. And we say, well, we're just a small group of people meeting out in the middle of what used to be a cotton patch. It doesn't matter. One or two, connect with the Lord. This church can join together in prayer for the next 40 days that will revolutionize your life, your family, and get this, get this now. We say, well, I can't make a big difference. You can join and pray in faith and you will be a part of changing the world. Now, that's pretty big. Oh, who, me? No, that's not going to happen. Let me tell you, you're a child of God. You're an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. The Almighty God hears you when you speak to Him. He speaks to you if you have a listening ear or heart. How dare we say, that we can't make a difference because it's him in us that makes it happen. Amen?